Most prisoners probably won't admit this, but men do cry amidst the steel bars, concrete walls, and hardened attitudes. Silent streams of tears become vessels that reflect the deepest and darkest of troubled waters. The last time I cried was the day after my parole was denied. But it was not the denial of freedom that brought me to tears. Imagine having 15 minutes to get on the phone and attempt to explain to your child year after year after year why you're not coming home. Not knowing how I would say what needed to be said, I stepped into the prison phone booth and called home. As I dialed the phone number, I imagined my daughter sitting on a couch in her apartment complex, anxiously awaiting my call. The prison facility where I'm housed sort of looks like an apartment complex. It's a five-story building of miniature cells situated inside a gigantic cube called North Block. Over 800 incarcerated men live there. A series of 12 1970s-style phone booths are situated on one side of the building, and I was assigned a time slot in booth 8. Normally, there are crowds of men hanging out on the tiers and by the phone booths, talking so loud it's hard to hear. I saw the crowd of men, but could not hear their voices. In that moment, my heartbeat was the only sound I heard. The volume increased with every ring of the telephone. And then she answered. Hello? A computer-generated voice quickly interrupted with a pre-programmed message. This is Global Telling. You have a prepaid call from... Troy. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin, San Quentin, California. This call and your telephone number will be recorded and monitored. To accept this call, say yes or press five yes. now. Yes. I could hear my daughter fumbling with the phone. Hello? Hey, baby, how you doing? I'm okay, but what happened? I was denied. Why? I was lost for words. My mind flashed back to a letter my daughter wrote when she was eight years old. When I'm sad, I say, God, please, just let my daddy out of jail. I'm about to cry right now. And here she is, 15 years later, still pleading for her daddy to come home. Why won't they let you come home? Stuck in what seems like the infinite ripple of a rock cast into a body of water many years ago, I thought to myself, what sort of prison have I put my child in? A stream of tears rushed up as if they were going to explode from my eyes, but I held back the tears like a dam holding back a river. How many days have gone by? How many tears have we cried? I felt that if I allowed my daughter to hear me cry, that it would cause her to lose hope of ever reuniting with her father in the free world. So I reinforced the dam with thoughts of penitentiary toughness. Don't cry, baby. Everything is going to be okay. In an attempt to comfort her, I began to lay out a laundry list of options. I'll petition for a rehearing. I'll write a writ of habeas corpus. I'll, I'll be okay. Just don't you worry. By that time, our 15-minute phone call was almost over. We said our goodbyes 
and I was able to tell her that I loved her before the phone automatically hung up. No sooner than I placed the receiver back on the cradle, the dam burst. The river of regret began to flow. My life is not the same, living here on my own. But I have to pay for my mistakes. The environment I grew up in taught me to believe my physical safety depended on aggression and that my emotional safety depended on the suppression of tears. I was 10 years old when I had my first fight. In fact, my mother forced me to have it. If you don't beat that boy's I'm gonna beat your and then I'm gonna tell your father to beat your when he gets home. The point is that I learned at an early age that it was safe to be aggressive and violent. But the moment I showed a tear, it was seen as a sign of weakness and I was preyed upon. Now, here I am in prison trying to overcome a lifetime of conditioning. I attempted to hide any evidence of my perceived weakness. I turned, faced the wall, and tried to hide as I used my t-shirt to wipe the tears away. I thought perhaps I could make it back to the cell before anyone noticed. As I exited the phone booth, a guy I knew was walking past. Hey, how's it going? Is everything all right? I paused and looked at him with caution. The look in his eyes told me that he had swam beneath the troubled waters of the mask I still wore. The tone in his voice told me there was no judgment in his question. Perhaps it was the sincerity of his concern. Perhaps I was just tired of holding it all inside. I shook my head and said, no, man, I'm not. I feel you, man. Not another word was spoken. I simply turned around and headed back to my cell. Stay.